This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mintz. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this court. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Minns. This week, The Wigs examined the Federal Government's proposed Communications Legislation Amendment Combating Misinformation and Disinformation Bill. The draft bill released by the Albanese Government proposes a method to combat the phenomenon of misinformation and disinformation, said to be a growing and pressing problem accompanying the explosion in social media and the internet more broadly. The draft bill has sparked a national conversation around free speech and the extent of the harms posed by false information. Human Rights Commissioner Lorraine Finlay posed the issue this way in an op-ed in The Australian on Thursday the 24th of August. 2023. Quote, despite being labelled the word of the decade in 2021, fake news is not a modern phenomenon. Misinformation has been spread for political gain since Octavian used fake news to discredit Mark Antony in ancient Rome. What is different today is the way modern technology makes it easier to spread fake news around the world, but harder to distinguish fact from fiction. Misinformation and disinformation can have devastating effects on human rights, social cohesion and democratic processes. Australia needs to address these risks, but this needs to be balanced with ensuring we don't unduly affect freedom of expression, end quote. Now on with the show. Okay, ladies Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Means. I'm joined by Stephen Lawrence, MLC. How are you, sir? Very well, mate. Good to be here again. Good to have you here. From Dubbo, I hear. I am from Dubbo. They hit hard in Dubbo. They do. People seen the viral video. My God. So this that was a horrible was event. Next I, level. I shouldn't really laugh. Yeah, there was some guy in a shopping centre in Dubbo that I go to regularly. Oh, really? Brandishing a knife. And um, a fellow called Blake Townie who is clearly a good rugby player, a rugby league player. Clearly. He crash-tackled him from behind and absolutely <laughs> took him out. And With a huge runner. A huge oh, runner, hell yeah. yeah. But it was obviously an intensely dangerous situation. Oh, that he diffused incredibly effectively. Oh, Not yes. He so did. heroic. Probably wouldn't encourage people to do it, but he was obviously able to do it. Yeah, no, you you are not getting up from that, that's for sure. I've shared that on my Facebook page, Stephen Lawrence MLC, <laughs> so you could like and... Check it out, Stephen Lawrence MLC. <laughs> like and subscribe. Like and subscribe, <laughs> hit the like button, it really helps. Felicity Graham, how are you? I am great. Great. I'm solo parenting. Yes, okay. So there's a bit of a pitter-patter... In the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you got Steve Owen, Steve Owen and me will chip in yeah. every once in a while if she, if she, if she, if she, if she travels around us. here. Um, live via satellite, recovering at, at uh, wherever he's recovering from his recovery base, Emmanuel Kirkasharian. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am recovering indeed. My my left leg is blue. Yeah, poor bugger. Blue and oh. bruised. Yeah. Are you on, from going to the gym. Are you on some sort of crutch support? No, I'm just hobbling, okay. hobbling along. Yeah. All right. Well, good for you for keeping up the fight. Uh, yes. We've got a lot to talk about, and I believe it's you, Bluefoot. Take it away. <laughs> communications. <laughs> so the communications legislation amendment, open brackets, combating misinformation and disinformation, close brackets, Bill 2023 is what we're talking about. This is one of those disclosure drafts that they do. Uh-huh. Um, it's about regulating the internet. And... It's about misinformation or disinformation. And I thought I'd start by asking this question of each of you or any of you who dare to answer. Have you been the victim of misinformation or disinformation? Mm. Um, do you want to start with me? Anyone. Broad yeah, question. So you, Jim. I'm sure in my lifetime I have been told a fairy tale here or there. 
Yeah, but have you been the victim of it? And can you recall a time where you've been a victim of misinformation or disinformation uh, on the internet in particular? I, 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 it's such a, I, can't, I can't answer that question. I just don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Do you reckon pre-internet? It used to happen quite a lot where you'd be having oh. a conversation with a group of mates and someone would be like really adamant that something was... I think I definitely have been. I mean... What do you mean definitely have I, been? Well, I've definitely... Read an article you thought oh, was Because I absorb a lot of information on, on the internet, right? So mm-hmm. I've definitely yeah. absorbed information that's false and I'm sure I would have absorbed information that's deliberately false. I'd like to think I've got a pretty good radar for disinformation and I certainly read lots of things where that I see people share and it doesn't really ring true and I sometimes inbox them and say you should check that that looks that sounds totally fake but I can't think of a particular instance but it's so interesting because many people take the view that misinformation and disinformation is a huge problem mm. and when you ask people have you been the victim of it nobody is really able to say firmly yes I have and this is an example mm. And oh, it seems yeah. to me that... Victim is from, a strong word, isn't it? But that's, I mean... But well, don't you think that could be part of the pernicious nature of misinformation and disinformation, that you don't know. don't know that you're being fooled or lured into some view that's wrong or, you know, um, being Absolutely. persuaded to act in a particular way in reliance on something that's untruthful? Yeah, For but it sure. normally comes to light, often would come to light, right? And so down the track at some point you would know. And I think what Manny's saying is like if this is such drank bleach. if this is such a big problem, surely looking back, we'd be able to identify some instance where we've been a victim of it. And that's an interesting point because I sort of can't. And what's interesting is is that I think many of I actually think that misinformation, disinformation are huge problems. Okay. Um, because we're now the growth of digital platforms in the last two decades has been incredible. 96% of the people of the population is now on the internet. Note, interestingly, that 5.8% of people are under four years old. So that in, so some four-year-olds are on the, are on the internet. <laughs> and, you know, something like 81% of the population are active social media users. So it's a real problem. But what I really worry about is that the people who think about this from a policy perspective so often think that misinformation and disinformation are a problem for other people, you know, where elites, we understand it, and those other mm. people are the ones getting fooled mm. instead of reflecting on the fact that we are all at risk of this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, that's yeah, sort of that's the broader policy position that, that we start from. Because we're all in our own cocoons and we don't necessarily know it. That's right. Mm. You know, and there's plenty of stuff that's come out on the internet that, you you know, that we're firmly convinced is true and then we find out it's not, uh. you know, and policy decisions are made on them on a day-to-day basis and, you know, anyway. So what's the bill so, say? Well, so the first thing worth talking so what worth talking about in the bill is how it defines misinformation and disinformation before we get into how it operates. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is a Commonwealth bill. Yeah. This is a draft Commonwealth bill, yeah. Exposure right? draft. So it hasn't been Exposure introduced. Exposure draft. Think, yeah. So it hasn't been introduced. This is for feedback and and so misinformation is defined and I won't read the whole thing, but it's defined in in section seven. Um, it has to be on a digital service, right? 
So if you put it in a newspaper, you can misinform as much as you like. Um, but the not content, in the online version. That's right, not in the online version. <laughs> the content contains information that is false. Although the yeah. online version might fall under that exception of professional news. Mm. It might or might not. We'll come to that. So, so interestingly, the content contains information that is false, misleading or deceptive. Now, note the word contains, right? So a criticism of misinformation contains misinformation. Mm. So let's bear that in mind. So if you're trying to dispel misinformation or disinformation, you might be caught by these provisions. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's right. Maybe, and yeah. Except maybe, maybe subject to other things, subject which to we'll come to. Harm. Well, and also depending on the meaning of contain as interpreted, I suppose. But Yeah. 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 That's right. But the content contains information that is false. And there's plenty of examples of people on the internet who've made criticisms of misinformation and had their posts taken down. Already. Mm. So this, that's yeah. something that already happens. Um, that is false, misleading. So note misleading. That is to say it can be a true fact, uh, but nevertheless something that's misleading or deceptive. Fair enough, deceptive. Um, it's not excluded content, and we'll come to what excluded content is in a, in a minute. And the provision of the content on the digital service is reasonably likely to cause or contribute to serious harm. So that's misinformation. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about what serious harm is in a moment. Disinformation is the same thing, um, but basically with the intention of deceiving another person, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Um, in determining whether or not something's going to cause or reasonably likely to cause serious harm, the matters that are taken into account include the circumstances in which the content is disseminated, the subject matter. So it's not clear to me how that operates, but presumably if it's political, it, can, it might be less likely to cause serious harm or more likely, I don't know. Um, the severity of the potential impacts of the dissemination, the author of the information How does that is a question that... whether it's harm or not? I suppose what their notoriety yeah. or capacity to persuade or be relied upon or something. I don't know. The author of the information. So... If you're a celebrity or if you're in a position of status or something. If you're the opposition leader, say, you might have a lot of sway and so it might amount to misinformation. I mean, um, it might engage the, political freedom issues, I suppose. Well, we'll come so. to that too. That, but that, that's a really interesting question. And one of the criticisms of this, of this bill is that, in effect, it permits the government to say whatever it wants but doesn't permit anyone else. Yeah, it's quite scary right? the way it sets up that so. very unbalanced... Uh, set of circumstances where the government can say what it wants but the opposition or other parties can't. Yeah. Well, they can, but just not on these mediums, potentially. Yeah, and okay, sure. That's right. I mean, Parliament can st you still say what you want in Parliament, I guess, although if Hansard publishes Parliament on the on the internet, mm. <laughs> query with, and you share that on social media, who and knows? It's false. And a lot of false things get said in Parliament. 
Yeah, I meant to. <laughs> I'll leave you We're with regularly that victims. Um, <laughs> the, um, anyway, and the authority of the source of various other things is what that is. Now, the sort of justification for this is that ACMA, ACMA or so the Australian Communications and Media Authority, they're a quote-unquote independent Commonwealth statutory authority formed in 2005, um, they're a mixture of the Australian Broadcasting Authority and the Australian Communications Authority. They regulate communications and media services, broadcasting, that kind of thing. Um, basically, they have been administering these voluntary codes. And in June 2021, voluntary codes governing how social media regulates misinformation, disinformation, they came to the view that they need more powers and this exposure draft is there to quote-unquote, enhance their powers. Um, basically, what the bill provides is that a scheme whereby they create these misinformation... Well, sorry. They encourage the... They encourage the... service providers to develop misinformation codes that they register with, the, with ACMA and ACMA then enforces it. Um, they also, alternatively, if the industry doesn't do that or doesn't do it to ACMA's desired standard, the ACMA can create its own misinformation standard. Um, basically, then, if you breach that standard, if ACMA forms the view that you've breached that standard, they can write to you and say you're in breach of this standard and you can be punished under civil penalty provisions, right? Um what the government says about this is, well, so we're not deciding what the truth is and we're not focusing on individual posts. Uh, what we're talking about is sort of broad standards. But in practice, what it means is that ACMA can set standards and if you get a letter from ACMA that says, hey, mate, this is misinformation, we're going to fine you unless you take it down... Who's not going to take it down? Maybe mm. Elon Musk won't take it down. And but who's subject to that? Is it the person, like in the case of a social media sort of company or account or whatever, is it like Facebook Yeah. who's who's subject to the order? Or is That's it right. like Emmanuel Kirkusharian as the no, no, so profile? It's, it's Facebook that will ultimately pay the civil penalty if they're in breach of the code. The whole thing is designed on its face to regulate the um, to regulate the service providers rather than individual um, people. Individual people. And Having the mechanism, said that yeah, sorry, sorry Manny, sorry to cut across yeah. you. The mechanism through which that's done is civil penalties, no takedown orders or anything like that. Uh, I can't remember if there's a takedown orders there, but civil penalties is the primary way that it's done. Um, the point I think being that once ACMA raises it with you, you know, take it down. Um, so the other thing is... I think, is, I think ACMA's not going to have power to request specific content or posts be removed. No, that's right. And, well, that's right. Except you're not going to have the power the code to, if you I don't do it. I suppose that's right. So you'll then you'll just keep accruing keep getting civil penalties. penalties. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, they don't have the power to request content to be removed, but... There's nothing stopping them from saying, hey, have you seen this post? Doesn't it look like it's in breach? 
And it's the same right. thing, right? Because the company yeah. has got all the power and mm. algorithms and whatever in the world to respond to these notices, I would imagine. So they it's get a notice saying this content has breached this. Presumably they press a button, all those posts get taken down. I mean, they do that now at the moment, right? They limit reach. They warn anyone yep. that views a post. They have all these different ways of doing it. So is ACMA yeah. going to be the arbiter of truth now? Well, they claim not, yeah. but it's hard to see how... I mean, it's either them or the social media outfits. Because you right? have to and engage with that question: "What is the truth?" Yeah. Well, someone has. Well, to you have to. That's right. Someone has mm. to. Mm. And I mean, it's going to be built into the codes. And so, let's say you have a thing that says, "I don't know, harmful medical advice." You know, we, you will take down things that are harmful medical advice. And someone puts up a post that says, "You should be wearing masks." because COVID's out, right? Everyone should go and buy a mask. Now, if it's the start of COVID, that's harmful advice because it's against what the advice was. Mm. If it's the middle of COVID, it's harmful. It's it's not, you know, it's that kind of thing. Who's who's making these decisions? Yeah. It's And also you know, what decisions are they making, right? Because if you look at social media in Australia with however many million people on it, there's a million issues being debated at any one time, right? A million different things that are false or intentionally false. But certain things will assume importance according to what's going on, the priorities of the government, all sorts of things, what's going on in the mainstream media. All these things will, you know, who's got power, who's trying to exercise it. All these things will set the parameters of what they're interested in. Yeah. What consumers are interested? No, no. What the regulator chooses to regulate, because they're not just going to spend their time, I assume, trawling through social media Mm. posts to objectively kind of apply this legislation. They'll choose areas to focus on. Hey, Manny, you might have already brought this up, but was there a preamble? What do you mean by that? Did it say, oh, in response to the drastic need to? Well, there's there's a there's a justification provided in various forms, including. in some sort of, uh, what's it called? The gui- There's a guidance note um, that comes with it. And, I mean, it really it's been framed as an attempt to protect the population. Uh, um, Got to protect them. I don't know. And, I mean, again, this, this comes back to my first question, which is how does ACMA protect itself from misinformation? And But mm. we'll leave that aside. Because ACMA's um, just people. That's right. And, I mean, one of the things raised in the guidance note is just outrageous to my mind, which is, Mis, quote, misinformation that caused people to ingest or inject bleach products to treat a viral infection. I mean, with clearly a reference to, you know, Trump saying mm. drink bleach or whatever like that. Like, is that really what this is aimed at? Stopping that kind of thing? It's, mm. it's yeah. So the penalties are up to, I think, 6.8 million, 6.9 million, 5% of global turnover whichever is the greatest. So you can imagine the chilling effect that 5% of global turnover has. Mm. Obviously, I think that's the maximum. It's not sort of what you're going to get. But, you know, you end up getting some pretty staunch advice from your lawyers about how much you might be up for. Mm. Um, So there's been a fair bit of criticism, and the criticism is um, it's really across the board. It's the sort of from the hard right to the hard left, to, to the Australian Human Rights Commission who described it overly broad and vague terminology in the bill. Um, it was good to see them come out on this, I thought. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, free speech 
you could sort of, in the light of recent decades, think about that as a sort of classical human right that in the last little while doesn't seem to have gotten the attention that other sorts of maybe social and cultural rights that have risen to the fore a bit more seem to get. Well, not social yeah. and cultural rights, but certain issues that seem to have come to the fore where the eradication of particular social problems seems to have become the priority and rights analysis less out there in the public domain from those sorts of institutions. So it's good to see mm. them to, you know, taking a very principled stand on it. And what I find interesting is that the harm that's contemplated by the act is that, that in addition to sort of figure, does saying how to figure out what harm is, it defines harm. And it includes things that like, so hatred against a group of Australian society on the basis of ethnicity, nationality, race, gender, sexual orientation, age, religion, etc. right, goes on. So that's sort so, of at, aimed at reducing social division and kind of, it, do, you, is, do you reckon that's right? In terms of like yeah, the that's ultimate right. harm that that's yeah. directed towards. So posting biblical quotes might get you in trouble with that one, for mm. example. What's that, sorry? Posting biblical quotes, certain biblical quotes, might get you in trouble, as the Whigs discussed in a previous episode mm. where someone got in trouble for doing that. Mm. Um, disruption of public order, fine, but disruption of society in Australia, I don't even know what that means. Um economic or financial harm to Australians, the Australian economy, or a sector of the Australian economy. So that if you do a post that says coal is bad, you might potentially be engaging in harm. So The thing that's anyway. interesting about a lot of that is that's bringing in a whole lot of considerations that would not normally be relied upon uh, to justify limitation on free speech applying conventional human rights analysis, right? Yeah. But I think what the government might say to that is, well, you know, we're not talking strictly about the government curtailing your free speech. It's the government imposing a code of conduct or a standard on social media companies who then take the action. But... I think that's but pretty indirectly, hard to, indirectly they are. quite directly, actually, it's them imposes doing it upon them. Because whilst the social media, in fact, it might have an even more chilling effect because the social media company might think, oh, we don't want to in, you know, have the potential for a fine, so we're going to take down things preemptively mm. even, even without ACMA knocking on our door. Yeah. And notions of like societal discord, whatever that's meant to mean, yeah, that's yeah. none of the sort of things. Like normally the classical exceptions are like threats to Inciting public violence. health, direct incitement of violence, those sorts of things. Yeah. Much more immediate. So professional news content is excluded. Speech, as we as said, whatever what professional means, I don't know. Um, the the thing said by the government is excluded, although not by the opposition, as I've said. Um Scientific debate is not excluded. If it's an accredited educational institution, it's excluded. But if, say, you're a scientist who operates out of a think tank or for a private company or something like that, your reasonable scientific speech is not protected, it's not excluded. 
Although um, presumably even things that scientific academics say might not fall within excluded content if it's not educational content. In other words, if they're not expressing the content for an educational purpose. That's right. Well, I mean, I, that, that's, a, that's a reasonable argument to make that that wouldn't be. And if they were to sort of step outside the educational aspect of their, say, professor role, then, you know, it's it's certainly muddy enough, I think. To, I like this bill. To, I like it. You I like it's it? good. Yeah. You know why I like the, it? Why do you like it? Why? Because the indirect effect it's going to have. Where it's just going to oh, yeah. make people go, you know what? Social media is just too hard. Let's and get off everyone's it. just going to get off and we're going to have a great reset. i tell you what I don't like about it is, and I don't want to minimise the rising threats and challenges posed by social media, the way that we all live in silos, the way that like American politics has, you hear about all this idea of, you know, the Russians have been able to, able to manipulate politics through social media. And that was said to be a factor in Brexit and they deliberately caused disruptions in American society and all that stuff, which this seems to be inspired by. I don't want to kind of minimise or even really engage with all of that. But what worries me is the whole idea of free speech and participation uh, in democratic uh, discussion and debate has to involve the right to be wrong. Like you can't just say mm. you're wrong, so therefore it's not free speech, so therefore we can limit it. Because any discourse, any dialectical discourse where people are putting things out there and yeah, that's good arguments point, are colliding, you will always be to some degree wrong. Yeah. You need to protect the right to be wrong. And otherwise otherwise free speech really good is point. illusory. Really good point. And like just say you're putting up active bullshit against the government and you're sensitised by the government. Well, it just confirms you you. Your bullshit analysis, really. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you learn nothing. Yeah. And this will put people more into silos, right? Because correct. Yeah. As you say, Jim, the heavy hand of the state will be upon them. And yeah, I find it just concerning on that level. And having being involved in politics and regularly sharing things on social media and getting into political disputes with people, like I've been wrong on heaps of occasions. Mm. Like yeah. I like to think not wrong on like the core, central, important things, but details all the time like mm. i would definitely have shared things that aren't correct mm. and during covid as has oh my Lord. been proven to be the case some of the things that were censored or said to be misinformation or disinformation have turned out not to be so mm. and i'm not saying all of them but certainly some things have been identified that where the research has, has moved on on it so yeah i find this very troubling i don't so there I, must be other I, ways surely to sort of look at this issue surely there is and it's interesting because we have a really hundreds of years old developed system of finding out what facts are. It's called a court. Hmm. does it every day, right? And instead of kind of ducking this issue and really putting it, hiding it away where the government can basically, if it wants, set the narrative. And look, I'm not saying that this government is going to misuse it, but you can't you can't assume that some government down the track won't, mm. right? So instead of doing that, I think there is a real problem with social media and, and the ability to share information. I think there's a real problem with media in general now and the sort of stories that come out that are not fact-checked properly, 
that are based on you know dubious sources and so on. The the bill the bill suggests that there'll be an AAT review available for these decisions. Interesting. I think that's ridiculous. I thought they abolished the AAT. Not well, yet. they not yet, but you know, one final test. Why? Why not? Why not? If this is if they're serious about this, why not use the systems that we have and adapt them for this thing? You could have, for example, before anyone's breached, before there's a takedown notice. Well, there can't be takedown notices sent, but before anyone's done for one of these civil penalties, why not have a grand jury? And oh, great! Right? Hey. Have, have, have have ACMA convinced that grand jury that there has been something dishonest or mis or disinformation? Bring back the grand jury. Why not apply the criminal standard? Why not require every decision that results in the removal of content to be litigated? Mm. You know, I, I'm there's a bloke called John Perry Barlow who was a lyricist for the Grateful Dead. Um, and a founder of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And when the first bill, first act in America in 1996, the Telecommunications Act, was passed regulating the internet, he did this statement called the Declaration of Independence of Cyberspace. And in it, he declared that, you know, cyberspace is free from government control. Are we going to play some of that? Um, what, yeah, we may as well play the first paragraph of, of him reading out the first paragraph of that. A Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace. Governments of the industrial world, you weary giants of flesh and steel, I come from cyberspace, the new home of mind. On behalf of the future, I ask you of the past to leave us alone. You are not welcome among us. You have no sovereignty where we gather. We have no elected government, nor are we likely to have one, so I address you with no greater authority than that with which liberty itself always speaks. I declare the global social space we are building to be naturally independent of the tyrannies you seek to impose on us. You have no moral right to rule us, nor do you possess any methods of enforcement we have true reason to fear. Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. You have neither solicited nor received ours. We did not invite you. You do not know us, nor do you know our world. Cyberspace does not lie within your borders. Do not think that you can build it as though it were a public works project. You cannot. It is an act of nature, and it grows itself through our collective actions. I think that the Internet needs to be regulated, but I also think it's an entirely new aspect of our society and how our society relates to itself, and it should be governed appropriately. It shouldn't just be done as some minor administrative thing where we pass off control to corporations to make decisions. It's really where, you know, I don't know. You can find out what the newspapers are going to say three days from now by following Twitter, mm, right? Mm. The effect on our society of these things is immense mm. and probably unparalleled. 
why don't we have court regulation of it? So I want to make a couple of predictions. I don't think this bill is going to be passed. And if this bill is passed, I don't think it's going to be effective because I think the issue is too big. It's just a, it'd be a, yeah, too big a task, I think, to properly do, which then creates a situation where use of the act might well be capricious. Mm. In the sense it would that have to be so they'll have to selective. choose what they monitor. Yeah. And who's going to make those decisions? Presumably they're going to look at the act and say, well, what are the harmful things going on? Uh, what are the things of particular interest? Yeah, I just feel like it's going to focus on things that is going to mean that choice is political and contestable itself. It will be the most... Cont- yeah, it will be the most contentious things in our society that are the ones that are likely to cause harm. You want to, you want to do a post of your Black Lives Matter protest during COVID? Sorry, that's likely to cause harm. We're shutting that down, mm. right? That's what we're talking about. So I think I think it could only be used in that way, as you say, Seven. It's too complicated to do in any proper way. Yeah. So anyway. It'd be interesting to look at America because they've got some of this going on, haven't they? But it sounds like it's been happening in a fairly clandestine way that might not have yet let people litigate the First Amendment issue. But I'm yeah, well, not on top of it at all, but that's what I've gleaned from some of the headlines. There's some suggestion that federal agencies have been putting pressure on social media outfits to, to remove posts concerning certain topics but also specific posts. Um, whether or not that will ever be litigated, I don't know. Uh, and the Hunter Biden been... laptop issue seems to be an interesting way to look at this issue, right? Because that was in the right before the American election, 2020 election. Yeah. The New York Post got hold of the contents of the laptop. All of these experts put out statements saying that it was Russian disinformation. Lots of media didn't run it. And to the extent that they were suggesting that the contents were false or Russian disinformation, that certainly seems to not be the case. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's made a case that it was the Russians who somehow disseminated true information from his laptop. So that you kind of think about that sort of thing, like when would ACMA be likely to use these powers? Well, I would have thought close to an election where the information's you know potentially going to change the results. If someone makes a, a decision that it's false then these powers will be used. But who makes that decision? And what if that decision turns out to be wrong? Then yeah. ACMA's changed the election rather, you know, than relying upon the common sense of people, you know, the collective intellect of the community to make their own decisions about whether they think things are true or false, which is the normal I mean, way. But I suppose the opposing argument would be to say that the nature of social media and its prevalence has sort of changed the calculation in some way. That we're that we're highly vulnerable, or that we're more vulnerable now to harm from this because of the scope of it. Mm. And I, the I say to even trust in public institutions and things. Mm. Even accepting it. that, mm. even accepting all of that, there needs to be a consequence for the misuse of power, right? So that if you are not one hundred percent sure that the laptop is false fake news then and you make that decision anyway and you do end up affecting election whether or not that happened i don't know but the person needs to be punished for doing that now whether that criminally punished or the state pays costs or something and there's no reason why 
it should be state actors alone who make the decisions without recourse to some democratic institution like a jury, right? If you can't convince 50 people or 20 people, 12 people, that this is absolutely false and dangerous, then why should you be allowed to make decisions like this, right? And I think the opposing argument would be because the nature of this is such that it should be an administrative power because it's real-time decisions that aren't effective if you don't do them in real time. I mean, sure, you, you can do that, but then the flip side is if it's an error, then you have to. Do, then there's some sort of punishment for mm. making the mistake, and in every case, it should be litigated. That is, you know, in every case, you should have to convince someone. And not so there'll just only make be judicial decision. review potentially available against ACMA, right? There won't. Is yeah. there any other sort of appeal? AAT or... and then judicial review. So merits yeah. review in the AAT and right. judicial okay. review, but not no recourse to the to the people. Right, which if we're talking about trampling on free speech rights, then we should be going to the people. And you have to go back to that old argument, right, that the best way to discredit bad ideas... Is with other ideas. Is with other ideas, expose them as a battle of ideas, whereas this is suggesting another way. It is, yeah. I had had a conversation with someone recently about, you know, they went to see, uh, I don't know, I'll just pull... I'll change the story a bit to hide the truth, to hide, to hide the uh, um, people involved. But they went to see a, a car dealer and the car dealer offered them a sweet deal and then they went back and they Googled him and it turned out the car dealer was a neo-Nazi, right? Because on Facebook there's all these swastikas and all this sort of stuff they put up. And he's like, can I accept the deal from that person? And... What's interesting about that is we now have so much more about our political beliefs and so on out there on the internet. And that is arguably a good thing because we can see what the people we are dealing with are really like Mm. in a way that we've never been able to before. You know, you don't want to drive that underground. Well, maybe you do, I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wigs. Uh, what a fascinating discussion that was. Uh, uh, it's time for fun things. I think we'll start in the reverse order of the introductions. And Emmanuel Kirkasharian. What's your fun thing? Oh, what's my fun thing? Well, I'm going to hobble off to drinks right now that are being run by a lovely law firm. Um, and that's my fun thing. Oh, what a cheat. <laughs> is, no, that, is it cheating? That, nah, I'm hobbling. A, it's a fun I'm thing. hobbling. It's a fun thing. Is yeah. there anything fun on the horizon, Mr. Kokosharian? Oh, look, there's a seven-week trial on the horizon, so that's about <laughs> as fun as it gets. I'm going to have a weekend this weekend. I'm not opening my emails from Good. now on. Nice. Yeah. Oh, well, that, look. Yeah, and that's my last weekend for a month. Treat yourself. Can we expect you on the show between now and seven weeks from now? Uh, we'll have to make do somehow. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the fans at bay. Uh, hopefully your absence will be minute. Felicity Graham. I have a great fun thing. Please. It could be a fun thing for you too. Okay. October long weekend, which actually starts at the end of September. I know what this is. Dungog. Every Scott's year. on the farm. Every year. My mum, Philippa Graham. She runs it, doesn't she? She runs it. Oh, I love it. It's so good. Over a hundred sculptures in the paddocks, in the gallery, in the tractor shed. Badger yeah. Bates has got a special um, tractor shed kind of exhibition that's going. He's going to be 
taking up that whole space. Is this a long weekend, the date of the uh, – it's not the date of the referendum, is it? No, that's the 14th of October. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Cool. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Huge. It's also the Country Music Festival, inaugural Country mu- Music Festival at Dungog that weekend. Oh, nice. So there's going to be lots on in town. Would uh, you like me to play? Um, <laughs> Don't man, worry. I'm not organising it. You can answer <laughs> off, off, off air. That's fine. You're you're very good though. I would like you to get your guitar, guitars, get, and just intro the show with a little bit, yeah. bit of down, down. No, no. Yes. Can we get a show of hands? No. Okay. Uh, all right. Dungog yeah. long weekend. Dungog. Uh, what is it? Country and and just go crazy festival. What's it called? Sculpture on the farm. That's it. And the country music festival. That's right. Be there. Be there. Stephen Lawrence, MLC. So my fun thing is I've been making a podcast with a small baby in the room that we've all been <laughs> handing around <laughs> and trying to entertain so that she doesn't make noise and it's been quite funny. <laughs> it's been hilarious. Okay, my fun thing, uh, it's not very good. I'm reading a good book. I'm reading the Chris Masters book, Flawed Hero, about the Ben Roberts Smith oh, already? Yeah, case. So it's really okay. interesting. I'm only... Um, only about a quarter of the way through. So we're still looking at the origin of the investigation by the various journalists into it. And yeah, it's right. pretty interesting. I haven't got to the trial part yet. Come here. But um, he's released a book on it at the same time that the other journalist, whose name just escaped me, the guy that I think was doing it for The Age. Yeah, what's he's his also name? Young bloke. Book. Yeah, the young guy. Well, he's, he's young not girl. young. He's just got one of those young faces. And he's younger than Chris Masters. But... They were going to write a book together, ben, but apparently no. had a falling out. That was the accused. Yeah, they had a falling out, and oh, they've now true. released different books. Nick McKenzie? Nick that's McKenzie. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they're both incredible journos, but I cho- chose to buy the Chris, Ma- Chris Masters book because that was the first one I saw in the bookstore. But yeah, really interesting. Oh. Well, aren't you going to ask me mine on your way no, out? No, what about, what about Jim, Jim's what's fun, fun thing? thing? I, uh, I finished my uh, law studies. That is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Wiggs. Round of applause. Thank Welcome. you. Yes. Thank you. Well, hang we on a minute. Have you... We don't know don't if you ...definitely yet. finished your law studies? I feel Oof. in my heart, Stephen. Stephen, you're very harsh. <laughs> you're very harsh with me. I feel it in my heart that I, I have finished. We'll update the we'll update the audience in it five weeks. Jinxing. When do you find out? You could be jinxing yourself. Oh, shut up, Steve-o. Hey? When? when, when five weeks from out? now. Okay. Does that include oh, your um, PLT stuff? <laughs> your, um, no, 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 no. I still got to do it. Robbie's got a fun thing, actually. Robbie, what's your fun thing? But, you know, Yeah, Robbie's got a fun thing. You know what I mean, Manny? Hey, come here, Ravi. Yeah, no, it's great. All right. Ravi, I don't want to take Ravi. Ravi, tell us your fun thing. Hi. Hi, Ravi. You turned one this week. Oh, wow. Wow. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Ravi. Well done, kiddo. Good on you. Wow, one. One. Where does the time go? Ladies and gentlemen, that was The Wigs. We thank you so much for your time. We look forward to spending some more time in your ears in the next round of recordings. (laughs) Take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening. Please like The Wigs on Facebook at The Wigs Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This podcast was brought to you by Minimal Productions, produced by Jim Mintz.